We need to hold fast to God's truth until God comes for us, whether as a church or individually. We need to overcome in Christ and to keep his works until the end, not for five minutes, not while emotions last, but until we breathe our last breath, until our heart can no longer beat. We need to remain faithful to the Lord and to do what is pleasing to him. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. In today's message, we'll be looking at the corruption in the church. There are many things that are wrong in today's Christian society, and that is because there are just too many of us that are allowing themselves to be led by evil and demonic influences. As a group and as individuals, we have allowed for the church to become just as bad, if not worse, than the world that surrounds us, and that should not continue. What makes it worse is that we have God's truth in His Word, and it is being dismissed and substituted with Satan's influences. Today's message is based on the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. Let's listen to what God's Word has to say about this. Let us go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I praise you, I worship you, I exalt you, O Lord, for you are the highest, you are the Almighty, there is no one like you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you please forgive my sins and my wrongs. Everything that, I, that I've done wrong, that I know, and that I yet need to understand that I've done wrong, please forgive me for everything, Lord God. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, O Lord, for your for your work, for your Holy Spirit. I pray for your guidance. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we may have good intentions, a, an easy listening, Lord God, of your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we may have tender hearts before you. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's key passage can be found in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. This is the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as also have received from my father. I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who was this Jezebel that this passage spoke of? This Jezebel is a personification of the satanic influence within this church and through God's people today. 
that resembles the practices of a person called Jezebel in the past. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, king of Israel, a woman that did great evil before the eyes of God. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30 to 33, starts to tell us about this woman called Jezebel, where it says, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though he had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. And so, as a daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, Jezebel was a pagan woman that seduced Ahab even further to do which was evil before the Lord. As a pagan, she proliferated even further idol worship in the kingdom of Israel. She also promoted much sexual immorality, especially since most pagan rituals and practices did involve sexual immorality. And so her influence on the kingdom made that much more prominent the sin of idolatry and the sexual immorality that comes with it, which includes various forms of sexual deviances. To add to her sins, she did like most people that want to do evil before God without any kind of remorse or regret. She tried to kill all of the prophets that truly spoke on God's behalf, those that denounced the evils that were being practiced by her, by the king and by the people of Israel in general. She did not want to hear about her sin, so she tried to kill the truth of God by killing the prophets. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4 tells us this, For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And so she killed many, many prophets, hundreds possibly, during her reign on the throne. Therefore, she added being a mass murderer to her resume, if you will. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us some more insight of the different things that many of God's true servants endured for the sake of the Lord's truth. Those that dared to be unpopular and therefore hated by the masses that had turned away from the Lord and to do the evil that was being promoted mainly by this Jezebel. This is what it says. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Even the great prophet Elijah fled for his life at one time because of this Jezebel, similar to what we just read because he hid in dens and caves to try to save his life so that he wouldn't be condemned, tortured, and ultimately killed like his fellow prophets. This Jezebel killed the majority of the prophets that were faithful to the Lord. She was trying to annihilate God's servants with the goal to rid them off the face of the earth, basically doing away with anyone that challenged her beliefs and evil practices. And so, Let's look even further into this Jezebel, this evil influence within the church, this movement, if you will, consists of two main evil influences with its subparts. The first one is sexual immorality and manifested in two ways within that, a physical and literal sexual immorality, which consisted of fornication, adultery, orgies, homosexuality, and lesbianism. And as mentioned before, 
many of the pagan rituals involved different sexual acts at different kinds of levels. The second form of sexual morality is in a spiritual sense, such as spiritual harlotry, which meant that Israel was not only supposedly worshiping God, but also other gods, including satanic and demonic adoration. These folks basically worship God and Satan and demons and other idols, including the worship of deities represented by animals. So you see, idol worship can involve trying to serve different masters, basically showing spiritual infidelity to God. The second Jezebel influence involved eating things that were sacrificed to the idols. Now, what does this mean? It meant participating in idol worship and or partaking in the mixing of the things of God with the things of the world. Ezekiel chapter 8 speaks of this where it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there, north of the altar gate, was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary? Now turn again, you will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door, and he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, and their midst stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? every man in the room of his idols. For they say, the Lord does not see, the Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, turn again and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house and there at the door of the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. This is what was happening with Israel where they were doing all kinds of idol worship and evil before the eyes of God. Sometimes people commit the mistake in thinking that Idolatry means that a person is solely dedicated to an idol and that they're completely disregarding God, but that is not the case. Idolatry also consists of intermingling both, trying to be right with God and with other idols. This involves being partially dedicated to the Lord, being lukewarm. The Lord said this in Revelation chapter 3 about being lukewarm, where it says, I, this is the Lord speaking, know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Being spiritually warm or having a divided heart before the Lord is unacceptable. And I don't think this concept should be very foreign to us. I'll break it down to the point that most, if not everyone, can understand. Let's use marriage as an example. 
Does anyone like the idea for their husband or wife to be cheating on them with other people? That in one moment, the person that you love and trust is with you, telling you about how much they love you and how much you mean to them. And that the moment you turn their back to them, they're with someone else, talking about the same things, that they love them and treasure them and so on. Would you like that? I don't think so. But that is what many people do with God. Jeremiah chapter 17 warns us in the following manner. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. There is no hiding from God. He knows everything, even the very depths of our hearts, our thoughts, and our souls. He searches everything. And just like his word says, he will give every man according to his ways. This is why we need to be so careful with how we live our lives, because it is all exposed to the Lord, and He will judge us based on our actions. This is one of the greatest fallacies that is preached today in many places, that God does not judge or punish His people, and that we can do whatever we want because we are under God's grace. God's grace is not a license to sin, and we will all give an account for everything we do, that's why we see God's warning given not to the world, but to its church, a group of believers, and that if they don't turn away, away from this evil that is among them, and if they adopt and maintain that evil in their lives, they will suffer the consequences that come with that. This isn't Old Testament fear. This is biblical truth. It's very plain to understand that if a person has adopted this Jezebel movement within their lives by either practicing sexual immorality, whether physical or spiritually, or having this double-minded following of God, being lukewarm, trying to be right with God and with the world, there will be dire consequences. This evil will not only impact them, but it will impact their families and their communities. Death will come and be careful just because a person dies physically which we will all die at some point, does not mean that they will be raised in eternity. That all depends on how God sees their lives. The point of Christ dying on the cross for us is so that we could be saved from our sins, so we can let go and enjoy true freedom in Him, no more being subdued by our evil and pointless passions, but rather empowered through the regeneration and indwelling of the Holy Spirit to do those things that fulfill God's will so that we can in turn inherit eternal life and receive God's reward. And according to what we read today, we need to do away with this doctrine, with this evil influence. We need to hold fast to God's truth until God comes for us, whether as a church or individually. We need to overcome in Christ and to keep his works until the end, not for five minutes, not while emotions last, but until we breathe our last breath, until our heart can no longer beat, we need to remain faithful to the Lord and to do what is pleasing to Him. That's why there is a warning. God does not warn people and then relents on that warning just because God's mercy only lasts for so long. If He says something is wrong, it needs to get fixed. And that fix needs to be permanent. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit and we have His Word, which is more than enough than what we need to overcome and lead a life that is pleasing before the Lord, where we can endure whatever comes our way and be able to stand before the throne of Almighty God, confident in Christ and in what He has done in our lives and through us. 
The Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 12 the following, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have a great cloud of witnesses, but the most important witness, quite frankly, the only one that matters is God. God is watching everything we do. We may think differently, but just because you can't imagine it or understand it, or if you desire not to believe it so, does not affect the reality that God is watching. We need to lay aside the weight of sin in our lives. We cannot let it ensnare us. And we must run with endurance, the race. What does that mean? When or if you accepted Jesus to be the Lord of your life and have decided to follow him, you don't stop at that point. You started a race that you need to keep running. You don't stop pursuing God and learning how to do what he truly desires for us to do. And the race is not over until you cross the finish line. And if you don't cross the finish line and you deviate from the course, you are disqualified. It's like you never ran the race. It doesn't matter if you accepted Christ once upon a time. If you left his ways and you stopped pursuing his truth and you let the world tell you what is right and you let sin run rampant in your life, it will be like you never made that decision for him. Is it difficult sometimes? You bet it is because you are fighting against your own worst enemy, the sin that still dwells within you. God's desire is for us to overcome the enemy that still lives within our flesh, within our mind, our vain and evil thoughts. And in doing so, we are urged to consider what Christ went through. Jesus did not have to come to this earth and live and die for you and me. Yet he did it because he subjected himself to the Father's will. Having everything in the universe, being God himself, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, came to endure the most horrible experience any human being could ever go through, which involves suffering injustice, shame, torture, and ultimately dying while hanging on the cross as a spectacle for the entire world to see where both his enemies, his friends, and loved ones saw him die. That is what we need to consider when we are starting to feel that things are getting tough. No matter how bad or tough you might think that life is getting for you, you will never experience what Jesus went through from having the universe in the palm of his hand to dying in the lowliest and most deplorable state any person could ever die. And he did it for all people that hated him, for those that were his enemies. We were all God's enemies when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. You are still God's enemy if you have not repented and converted from your sins and accepted him as the Lord of your life. We have all sinned against Almighty God. And yet knowing all of that, Jesus did what he did. So we can never know what it's like, but we can be grateful. We can learn to love God for the love he has showed us. And if we learn to love God, we can then come to understand that it is completely unfair to sin against him and not worth anything at all to continue following the evil desires of our flesh and the influence of the world. And in today's case, following Jezebel's influences. It is necessary for your own good, your good and my good, to overcome not just in Christ, but through Christ, our sin and the world's influences and to keep his works until the end. God ultimately gives his warning to those people 
that he truly desires to have the opportunity for repentance and salvation. If God gives his warning, then that means that there is still time to do what is right and pleasing before him. This is how the word counsels us even today. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered, but because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right. If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall he be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Our righteousness can only be found in Christ, but also in doing through Christ the will of God and doing it until we stand before the throne of Almighty God. True faith in Christ is learning how to be like Christ, the one that loved God the Father above all things and loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus is the standard. And so, if you're in a bad place right now, don't be troubled. This call from God is for you to stop doing what is wrong before God, to repent and turn away from your sins, and to give Jesus the place in your heart that will make forgiveness and salvation possible by making him the true and effective Lord of your life. I urge you today to do that, to live for him, so that you can become part of the solution rather than the problem that plagues our universal church today, Christ's church. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, help us to truly understand what we do wrong. Help us not to justify our sins, but help us every day to be able to see more and more clearly what needs to change in our lives. Heavenly Father, help me to see things clearly in my own life, that I may not go about just based on my opinion or what I think, but on what you say what you think on what you say that I am doing wrong and what I am doing right. Help us, O oh Lord, to be able to base our lives on your word, on your truth, Lord God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you please forgive our sins. I pray, Lord God, for every person that is listening, especially for those that right now are feeling your touch in their hearts. Heavenly Father, they may come to understand that they may come to repent, that they may come to have soft and easy hearts before you, Lord God, that there may not be any pride or, or resistance and, and self-righteousness, but Lord God, that right now in this very moment that they might be listening, that they might just understand and repent fully with all of their heart and truly make Jesus the Lord of their lives. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us not to be led by the world and by the weaknesses of our flesh, by the evil desires that are still within us, Lord. But help us to fight the good fight. Help us to overcome. Help us to understand that one day we will stand before you and that we want to listen to, 
great words from you saying that, that Lord, for us to just come in and to just inherit what you have for those that love you. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, that in all things your name may be glorified, but that our lives may be able to experience your greatness and your mercy, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer or someone to talk to, please email us through our website. We would love to help. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcasts in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.